T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, all three engines up and burning, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. Coach on Fire Radio. I am the Hello everybody, this is Karen Sindri from the Change Strategist Show and good afternoon America and good morning Australia. Uh, I'm sitting here in a quite a chilly Brisbane this morning and um, covering myself up uh, whereas I believe uh, America is quite hot and warm at the moment. Um, So just to tell you a little bit about my show. The Change Strategist Show. It's all about helping you cope with life's big changes. And most of us have experienced um, enormous changes, be it uh, moving countries, uh, going through a divorce, going through death, or possibly even changing jobs, going into something that's completely different, unfamiliar, and new to you. So um, that is what my show is about. It's here to help you and to help you with um, the changes that you are going, going through. So if you'd like to uh, know a little bit more about me, I am the co-author of After the Shock, not the co-author, sorry, the author of After the Shock, How to Make Peace with Change. And I'm also the co-author of The Inspiration of Woman by Woman, uh, for Woman, I think it is. Uh, And I'll be having my book launch um, soon for that book, which is really exciting and great as well. And um, if you'd like to contact me, you can contact me on pathwaysunlimited.com.au or you can uh, find me on my Facebook page, which is Pathways Unlimited. So today I've got a very, very special guest and I seem to be attracting a lot of South Africans into my show. I think this is the third South African that I've hosted, which is just amazing. And today I'm going to be interviewing the lovely Gerda Miller. Gerda is the ultimate private pra- uh, private practice success creator. Um, after building a two a two seven figure group private practices, she now trains mentors and coaches, both aspiring and current practice owners, to build their own seven figure private practices. Wow, I think I need this. With her brilliant signature private practice success workshop, she offers um, practice uh, practice owners a detailed blueprint for achieving their very own ultimate private practice, whilst providing a rewarding career for their team and a life of abundance for them and their family. So welcome, Gerda, to my show. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, I'm so um, honored to be here, and thank you for that lovely introduction. Absolute pleasure. I mean, it's just so lovely to be able to speak to people that um, when you are sort of on the same kind of mindset and um, I'm really looking forward to finding more about what you are doing and what, um, you know, how you can help people with, um, you know, improving their businesses and, and being becoming a successful private practice um, owner, which is really exciting. I think this is really, really something that I need. <laughs> yeah. So would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and who you really are? Okay. Uh, Mm. Well, I guess there's lots of facets uh, to me. Um, As you said, I'm also an ex-South African, now an Australian Mm -hmm. citizen, and I've been here for just over 12 years now. Um, I I guess on a personal uh, front, I'm a mum to three 
kids, um, one teenager and two younger ones. So that's obviously mm. an important and big part of my life. Um, I'm, I guess my, my trade, if we want to use that word, is that I'm a clinical psychologist first and foremost. Uh, that, is, that is what I studied to be. That is how I started all of this uh, when I started my private practices. And three years ago, of course, I started private practice success, where I guess my, my day job changed from being a clinical mm. psychologist, um, helping people one-on-one -on -one in that setting, to now working with actual practice owners um, that most of them are also, um, uh, you know, parents and having to juggle all of that stuff that they need to do. So, so I would say that, that is me in, in a nutshell. Mm, yeah, and that sounds really exciting. I mean, to be able to do all of that and still manage a family and also um, being well, not reasonably new, but being in a country as well where you had to build up a history and nobody um, mm. nobody knew you when you came into Australia, which is the same kind of thing that I am feeling as well, you know, after having been here for four years. So that's mm. really amazing that you've managed to do so much. So well done. Oh, no, thank you. And, and, and it was a big adjustment. And, you know, that's why the stuff that you do in terms of helping people with change is so important. Because when we arrived here, um, and I started to get to know the lay of the land in especially mm. the psychology industry, but allied health, it's completely different to the way it works back in South Africa. So I really had to take almost two years um, and just get normal employment, not be in private practice to get my head around how everything works, you know, the Medicare, the medical system, the, um, mm. all the private health and how all of that fits in together. So it definitely was an adjustment. Uh, mm. But the good thing about uh, this country we live in, Australia, is that they are very accepting um, of uh, migrants to the country. And, you know, when you're working in the allied health field, uh, people are very accepting because they realize the important work that we do. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's great. It's great to have that support. So um, just for the listeners, if they'd like to call in, the number in America is 646-716-7979. If you'd like to ask Gerda any questions or if you'd like to ask me any questions, you're more than welcome to call in. Or you can also um, log in on HTTP colon backslash backslash uh, T-O-B-T-R dot com backslash S backslash one double zero five one three six one. So if you'd like to call in, you're more than welcome to call in to ask Gerda any questions. Um, so um, Gerda, you, you spoke about uh, coming to a country and, and um, not knowing where, you know, what was, you yeah. know, where things were, how the, the private health worked, how the medical care system worked and everything. What kind of mindset did you have when you, when you moved here that supported you and helped you? Uh, mindset. Um, I was just very determined to make it work. So mm. when my husband and I made the decision that we're going to um, immigrate, um, we, we obviously thought around, you know, what country are we going to go to? And Australia was the natural choice because they just have sport crazy as we are back in South Africa. They've got amazing weather. <laughs> yes. And um, I actually had my uncle was and still is living in this country. So it was the only other country in the world that I actually had family in. And I think family is a very important um, support for you when you migrate to a new country. 
And we basically, um, you know, packed up all our stuff, sold everything we owned. Uh, basically, uh, you know, we didn't leave any um, opportunities to go back to South Africa when we came over. And um, it was the first time we actually came to Australia. So we've never been to visit before. We just made wow. the decision and, and left no opportunities to return. And we had to make <laughs> it work. <laughs> Um, I love so, that because it's, it, it is, I mean, it's, um, I love the way that you said, you know, you just came because there's so many people that when they do immigrate overseas, they, yeah. um, they just don't even go and see the country. They just leave and they, mm-hmm. and they arrive mm-hmm. there and which is, that is really brave because I did it the other way. I came to Australia mm-hmm. for two weeks first <laughs> and then mm-hmm. went back home and packed up and came back here. Yeah. 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 So that's no, really could- brave. Uh, well, you know, we just jumped and we, we really wanted to be in a country where there was going to be a lot of opportunities, not only for us, but more importantly, for our children one day. Yeah. Uh, so the motivation was really, really strong. And for me, there was just no going back. Um, yeah. And that was the mindset that whatever happens, we will make it work. And I, will also, I was also prepared that it would be really difficult um, mm. and that it was going to be challenging and that it won't be easy. And, you know, I, I guess to some extent, I'm fortunate that I have um, a certain set of coping skills, being a clinical yes. psychologist that came in handy. But even despite mm. that, you know, there were really difficult days um, where I clearly remember sitting in our little unit because we came over in winter. Our furniture wasn't there. I had this camping chair I was sitting on with a box (laughs) with my laptop on top of it. And that's how I was applying for jobs with no furniture other than a mattress upstairs in the room that Mm. we slept on. And we lived like that for six weeks. Um, You know, so it was difficult at times, but um, yeah, because there was no going back, uh, no lifelines or anything, we just had to make it work and it worked out. Yeah, it's a classic example of saying saying yes and then figuring out the how. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I'm just having a bit of a chuckle here to myself when I'm listening to you speak because we did this, you know, we, did, we didn't do exactly the same thing, but we also had camping chairs and and mm. blow up mattresses and things for about three three months, I think it was, because mm. we our furniture um, was delayed because of um, mm. it was over the Christmas period. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we you were longer without furniture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's amazing. Yeah. That's really great. So I'm so I'm so happy that you're in Australia because now I've met you too, which is really amazing. That's a, that's right. Yes. No. And and yeah. I also always love listening to everybody's stories. You know, that first mm. six to twelve months of what migrants have to go through, and you know, yeah. but it's it's part of your journey and it's part of your story. And when we look back at it now. Um, you know, we, we're proud that we actually got through it and it makes you feel good and makes you feel like, you know, that, that you can manage challenges when it arises. Yes. Because if you've gone through something like that, you, you're all the more stronger for it at the end of the day. Yes, yes. And I can remember, um, you know, when we decided to move over, my husband said to me, um, so how are we going to handle this? Well, I think I might even have said to him, you know, how are we going to handle this? And we both decided, and I, I share a lot about this in my in my book, um, After the Shock, mm-hmm. How to Make Peace with Change, is um, we looked at it as being um, more like a, a, an adventure. Mm, so for, yeah. for us, it was an adventure. And every weekend, uh, one mm. day of the weekend, we set aside to go and explore. And so oh, that good. was our, yeah, that was our way of dealing with, you know, the change mm. that was happening within us. 
yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really great. Yeah, yeah. So um, just for the listeners, um, Gerda is a recently published author of The Seven Figure Practice, um, The Seven Step Blueprint for Growing Your Startup Practice to a Seven Figure Ultimate Private Practice. So would you like to share with the listeners a little bit more about your book and, and the purpose of your book? Okay. Yes. So in my book, I, um, I, I share basically just all my knowledge and experience of the last 10 years of building up my two uh, group private practices. And the seven steps, um, the seven step blueprint refers to what I call when I run my workshops, the seven secrets of a successful private practice. So I take the reader um, through those seven secrets that I've used successfully um, at my private practice um, that, that I use every day still to this day. And in terms of, you know, why I decided to write the book, it, um, well, a couple of reasons. So I, I guess I decided three or so years ago that my practices was ringing really well and I actually had time on my hands and I thought, okay, <laughs> This is a surprise. Um, what am I going to do? Because my business was running in my absence, was chucking along very well, and I decided to enroll into a PhD. Mm. Um, you know, as as a plin site, you know, you don't need to study for six, seven years to get your um, registration and stuff. And that was just the ultimate goal in terms mm. of my academic career to get my PhD and it, it's very time intensive. So I thought I'm going to do that. I knew I would have to select a topic that I was passionate about or I would lose motivation. Um, mm. So I thought, okay, what topic is going to be helpful to, um, you know, my industry and to other practice owners. And the topic that I settled on was psychologist as practice owners looking at current coping challenges and success predictors. So that was the mm. title of the, of the PhD or the dissertation then. And as part of that process, I had to do a huge literature review uh, to see what is out there already uh, in order to ascertain the gaps in the research um, as part of that process. And, and during that literature review stage, I just realized that there was no formal support for uh, psychologists, but also occupational therapists, speech pathologists, um, dietitians, and all the other other types of allied health professionals out there. And I was thinking, mm. geez, well, this explains why it was so hard for me and why I struggled so much, um, especially in the early stages, because you spend, you know, six, seven years of uni learning how to be a great clinician, but nobody teaches you how to run a business. And when you are in private practice, you are a business. Um, and I thought, yeah. I, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, some universities might, um, what I found, might get a guest speaker in to do a talk for 30 to um, 60 minutes. But that was the gist of it. Um, and I mm. thought, well, this ain't good enough. Um, you know, I'm just going to start sharing with people what I know. I just decided I'm not going to wait until the PhD is finished because that would take another three, four, five years. That's how long mm. those things take. And I just thought, no, yeah. I, I, I need to start running workshops and just tell people what I know. And, you know, they will either take it and use it or they might, you know, just let it be. And that's how I started running workshops. And, and then the thought of, you know, do I potentially put this information in a book? came up and 
because I work with people that have been to university, um, I do know that they highly value books and they yeah. value being published in our industry. And I knew that if I put this information in a book, it will definitely enhance my credibility. So mm. where I'm not just this person that all of a sudden stood up from the crowd and said, oh, I actually know what I'm talking about. So yeah. when you are published, it just lifts up that expert status amongst your peers because you have this book. Um, so, so that is basically what I did. Um, and, in, you know, the book has done exactly that. It has made it much more easier to reach people, you know, it's much easier for somebody to buy a $30 book than to pay $385 to come to your workshop for the first time to yeah. learn what you have to say. And it means that, uh, you know, they get to, uh, as the online marketers would say, they, they get to know, like, and trust you. Um, and it does become that business card on steroids, basically having this book. And obviously, it also means that more people that can't get to my workshops, which I run in the big capital cities, um, are able to access this information because Australia is a huge country. And there's yeah. a lot of like, health professionals that works in very remote areas and that works mm. very uh, rurally. And I knew if I at least have this book, I will be able to reach so much more people through what I can do with my in-person workshops that I run. Yeah, wow. That's, that's amazing. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's and just it's endless, endless, the people that you can mm. reach. Yes, yes. Definitely. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it, it's probably one of the best things I could have done for my private practice success business. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy with it. So I'm just curious, when you first started off your private practice, um, mm. did it take you a long time to get it, um, you know, to become a successful private practice or, you know, how mm -hmm. was it for you? Um, no, it was actually much easier than I thought it would be initially. Mm. So I started it while from maternity leave with my second son and I just started working three days a work a week doing school hours <laughs> and Within six months, I was working five days a week, also still school hours because I've got the kiddies, uh, but I was fully booked and I had to take on board another person because I could only see so many, many clients. And, and I always say when I speak to people is that it's actually pretty easy to start a private practice in Australia. The reason being that, you know, if somebody does have a mental health difficulty, they can get a referral from their doctor. They can, um, they've got access to Medicare rebates. So they have that financial support to access sessions. Yes. Um, so it can actually be easy to start it. The difficulty comes in managing that growth. And if you don't mm -hmm. have the business skills, you might do really well for one or two or even three years. And that's when it all starts to go, you know, um, to hell basically. Patient. If you haven't. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> you didn't get the basics right. Um, you didn't lie the proper foundations. You don't have the systems and processes that a business that has grown to that size requires. And I think what makes that so hard is that you've had this initial success and you go, oh, you know, this is really easy and this is awesome. It's great. And because you've had that success and then all of a sudden it feels like you're failing, I, I think that is just so much harder having to then go through that and rebuild. And, and that's what I had to do. And that was my biggest learning through this process. 
Yeah. So you started off obviously as a, a single single man business and then em- yeah. employed other people and then you've built it up to to private practices. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and your private practices they they are based in Brisbane. Yes, I've got two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, both is on the south side of Brisbane. The one is in the suburb of Kapalaba. Uh, that practice we run as our child and adolescent centre. So we do a lot of work with kids, with teenagers and their parents and families. We also do see Mm -hmm. adults. Um, Their niche area is kids. And then we've got our second practice is based in the suburb of Logan Home, also on the south side of Brisbane. And that is our trauma center. So there Mm -hmm. we work with people across the life age, kids um, up to, um, you know, any age basically. Um, But we do a lot of trauma work at that practice. And is it mainly with children, or do you practice with adults as well? I mean, do you do you are adults? Yes, most definitely. You know, coming to your uh, practice, yeah. Yes, yeah. across both practices, we will see adults as well. Yes. Most oh, okay. Definitely. All right. Oh, that's wonderful. So, um, just getting back to your your workshops and things that you you know you talk about, mm-hmm. and something that um, that you mentioned is is that there has to be a paradigm shift. So what paradigm shift did you have that changed your business and your life? Oh, I had so many. (laughs) (laughs) I think the the most important thing was realizing that um, I have to run my practice as a business. And my eyes was opened one day. It was January 2012. I clearly remember that time of my life course it was really hard and difficult time and um, I uh, uh, signed up to do a one-day business planning workshop. That is oh, local Gerda, business. I might just want you yes. to hold in there for you. I think it sounds like there's a caller that's called in so let me just see if, oh, I, if she's on the line. Let me just fabulous. see if there's somebody there. Hello? 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 This is Karen from the Change Genesis Show. Ah, oh, okay. No, it's not. Got very excited there that we might have a call on the line. <laughs> I just saw a number come up, so I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> but it's All okay. Good. Yeah. Yes. So getting back so, to um what you were saying, yeah. So uh to what caused my paradigm shift, I paradigm guess. Paradigm shift, is, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um um, I, I had that initial success the first three years um, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, the pauper hit the fan, so to speak, and I was sitting in my, my consulting room January 2012 and I got this email that invited me to attend a business planning day and I thought, oh, well, you know, what do I have to lose? I'll try and find out what this is all about. Um, and I called up the local business coach that was running it because I wanted to make sure that it is relevant to the allied health industry because we are so regulated and we've got a lot of mm. rules and regulations. And, you know, um, I had a, a chat with him. He was really nice. Um, he gave me two tickets for the price of one. So that was a really awesome deal. So I couldn't <laughs> say no. So yeah. I took myself and my practice manager, we attended that day and, you know, just being surrounded by other small business owners that were running mm. their businesses like a business was it, it's just like the cloud lifted off my head, you know, and I just realized, 
oh, geez, this explains it all. You know, um, I, I, I was being a really awesome clinician. Everybody was doing excellent clinical work. But when it came to the business side of things, I really didn't know what I was doing. And that, that shift was really the thought that it is crazy to think that just because I am an allied health professional, that I don't have to run my business, um, my practice like a business, or that I can't do it. Because you absolutely need to do it if you want long-term sustainable success in your practice and if you want to keep mm. your doors open that's what you need to do and 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 that's when I hired my first business coach to help me and really teach me most of the stuff that I know to do that I know yeah. today and here's in my practice yes yeah so having the support of the business coach obviously then um, helped you with expanding your business and and moving forward mm. Yeah. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. I was a, a, a client of his for a very long time. And, um, you know, the first year was probably the hardest year mm. because we would have our meetings. It was always on a Thursday from 9 to 11. That was our time every week. And he would go, okay, Gerda, we need to do A, B, and C. And I would go, oh, we can't do that because of, of these rules that we have in our industry. And then we yeah. had to sit and go, okay, so what's the outcome that we want? And then I'd have to go back and take it through all our registration rules, through our ethical code of conduct and go, okay, what can we do um, in this industry to get that result, which is different to other types of businesses? Um, and then, okay, then come up with a new solution and start implementing that. So um, it always had to go through my allied health filter uh, because we are such a regulated industry. So for example, um, in our business, we can't use testimonials to market our business. And oh, yes, okay. Yes, so the first thing wow. a marketing person or a business coach will tell you is, you know, that's the best thing ever. Get testimonials. Yes. It's, it's social yes. proof that you're really good at what you do. So we can actually be fined thousands of dollars if we use testimonials on our website, if we have oh. it on our Facebook pages, if we have it on any reviews. It's just not allowed and you can get in huge mm. trouble. And that's just one example of, of how our industry is different to yes. other industries. Um, again, it still doesn't mean that you can't run your practice as a business. You absolutely have to or you can't keep those doors open, but you need to be very clever in how you do it. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. Mm. I found out something new today. <laughs> Gee, that's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, so, um, mm. Sorry, yeah? I say, um, you, you, generally, nine out of ten people will tell me that's just crazy. They can't believe yes. it. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, most people, if they are wanting to go for some sort of help, be it with a, a mm. psychologist or psychiatrist or a, mm. a life coach or a physiotherapist or whoever it is, they like to see whether there is some sort of testimonial about the person. Yes, most definitely. And most know definitely. who they are going to. Wow, that exactly. is really, really interesting. Exactly. Wow. And, and, and another one that people are normally surprised about is the fact that we can't use the word um, specialize. Uh, mm. You know, again, a lot of marketing and business coaches will tell you to have a niche and really mm. market that so that you can stand out from the crowd uh, and to say that, you know, I specialize in helping people with um, whatever. So we yes. aren't allowed to use that word at all. So we can't say we specialize. Wow. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so you have to find <laughs> other words that <laughs> go around it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
So there's, there's a lot wow. of those little, I guess, landmines that you need to step over and always yes. ensure that you do the right thing in our industry. Wow, wow. Mm. So um, you mentioned earlier on about um, going to networking events and things, and I know that um, one of the things that you, you said you would like to talk about was how to stop feeling like an icky used car salesman when you're marketing your private mm. practice. Um, mm. what, what, what are your recommendations? I mean, what, what can people do that is different? Yes. So I think, you know, for allied health professionals, you know, we are helping professionals first and foremost. Um, you know, there's a lot of extroverts in our industry, but there's a lot of introverts um, in our industry as well. Uh, again, you know, we aren't taught marketing at university, but mm. with more and more um, psychologists and other allied health professionals going into the industry, uh, you know, you need to get out there, whether it's through networking events or other types of marketing and advertising, because unless people know that you exist, they can't make use of your services. So mm. if, if I had to have a room through a room full of, um, you know, just general small business owners and I would ask them generally, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to marketing or your biggest barrier? They would probably tell me it is the cost of marketing, you know, that it's yeah. cost that yeah. you need to pay for it. Um, if I had a room full of psychologists or OTs or other allied health professionals, um, they won't tell me that it's the cost. For them, it's about selling myself. That is their biggest mm. barrier, really um, mm. putting themselves out there and, and going, you know, um, look at me, I can help you with this um, thing. So my biggest job in, in getting them to stop feeling like they're selling a used car, which and those <laughs> are the things that they, they use when they talk to me about the challenges that they have with marketing, is really to reframe marketing and, and, and not equate marketing to selling. Because if you think of big corporate businesses, it's two separate um, departments in a business. Yes, they rely on one another and there's an interdependency, but they're separate. And really not looking at marketing as selling, but reframing marketing in terms of what it means to market myself so that you can equate that to communicating to people how I can help and communicating mm. to people how I can add value. And that is the reason why we go to uni in the first place and invest many years of our lives to do, um, you know, follow our passion, do our life's best work. And unless yeah. you are able to communicate that, um, how you can ease people's pain and help them, you're not going to be able to do that. And once they get that and the penny drops, that's when they become more comfortable with actually going, yes, this is how I can help. And not yeah. looking at it as selling and standing on a soapbox and saying, look how awesome I am, because that's not yeah. what it's about. Yeah, because a lot of the networking functions, when you go to them and they say, oh, you know, you've got, you've got to give your uh, one minute, um, you know, speech mm. and whatever to say who you are and what you do. You can see that a, a lot of people, um, it's, it's all they're trying to mm. sell and they sound like a used mm. car salesman, as you said. And so mm. um, I was really lucky mm. as well when, when I studied um, my life coaching is that they, that they taught us how to actually give your 30 second, um, you know, pitch to say mm. who you are, what you do and what can you offer and, and also to, to look at what problems you can solve for people because that is what people are looking for. 
Exactly, exactly. They, they, sh- they should do more of that. I think, you mm-hmm. know, teaching that is so, so important. Because even if I think of uh, the bios that I see on a lot of websites of practice owners, that's probably one of the first things I get them to change on their website. Because a lot of them start rambling off all their qualifications and registrations and stuff. And I go, you've already lost that person three sentences into that bio. The person wants mm-hmm. to know how you can help them. That's what they want to know. Um, And that's what you need to communicate first and foremost. And all your credentials can come later. Once you've convinced them that you are the person to help, then maybe they'll check out your credentials as that second Mm. step. But that's very, very important. Yeah, and I like that because it also gives you that, it portrays that image that you are, that you are human, you know, Mm. not this, Mm. uh, not this machine that just, um, you know, throws out qualifications and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. And in that way, it attracts it attracts the client to you. Yes. Oh, totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. And it is so important, you know, a big part of what we need to do as, as psychologists and allied health professionals is to uh, work on reducing that stigma around uh, surrounding um, mental health. Um, mm. Also, you know, I'm a very strong advocate that, um, you don't need a diagnosable mental health condition to see a psychologist, you know. You, you can see a psychologist or counsellor or life coach just because you need to maybe make a decision about do you take that other job or that next promotion or just doing a bit of a download and, you know, mm, by making mm. it you more human, more real. So it's not like, you know, you this doctor and you only go when you're very, very sick. Um, you can actually go and see this person when you just need somebody to talk to as well and that's okay. Yes, and sometimes even to prevent the really, you know, to go before the really, mm. really sick happens because a lot of exactly. people wait till they are down and out and then they are, they've hit rock bottom or they are on their way down to rock bottom and they just don't know if they had mm. gone earlier for that support and that help, they might not have got down to that where they are. Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, early intervention and being preventative yes. in that way, it can make such a difference. Yes, yes. And I find that also for a lot of people, um, particularly people in the service industry, is that um, having those sort of debriefing sessions where they could just offload or download, like you said, or could press control, I'll delete and get rid of it. um, They don't have Mm. that safe space to do that. Mm. And so in in a lot of organizations, a lot of people don't have that safe space, you know, to to be able mm. to do that downloading and offloading and getting rid of things that they're yes. carrying for the week or the day or whatever it is. Yes, because it's very hard going to your supervisor or your line manager and doing that. You know, you might need mm. to download about them. And when you come home, you don't want to always download on your partner or your spouse um, or yeah. maybe your best friend is getting sick of hearing you whine about stuff. And, you know, that's what we are there for because we're objective we are empathic, we are supportive, um, and we can give you, um, you know, a lot of support and help you make good decisions. So, yeah, Absolutely. I would definitely encourage people to do that. Yeah, and it's learning how to manage that that change that you're going through, you know, managing those those changes or whatever gets thrown thrown at you to say, right, this has been thrown at me and this is how I can mm. manage it. This is, this is the best that I can do with, with it right now, but if I don't mm. know, I'd, I have got that support. So yeah, I'm not completely down and out just yet. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you also mentioned that there are um, three mindset hacks, okay, that will move mm. you from rock bottom to a seven figure. I'm really curious about this. I'd love to know <laughs> what they are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so maybe just for some context. So I, I've said earlier mm. on that, you know, for psychologists and other allied health professionals, it's really hard for us to move from being the person that helps people to being the person that has a, a business that makes money, i.e. that is profitable. Um, it, it's very, very tough for us. Um, and, and that is why a lot of them might have initial success and then, um, you know, rock bottom arrives and it's almost inevitable if you haven't been applying the necessary business tools. And so, and, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. And I'm very honest with people and I share that story in my book and at my, my live workshops. Um, and actually using these mind hacks and implementing what I know now has allowed me to get my practices to seven figures, both of them, and because both of them operate as two um, uh, independent legal and financial entities. And the first mm. thing I, I had to do was to remove emotion from my decision making. Okay, mm. and that is much uh, easier said than done. I was about uh, to ask you, how did you do that? Very <laughs> <laughs> hard. And, and I think it was hard, you know, I, I can say this because I'm a woman, uh, but I think us, us females are a bit more emotional in our decision making. We think more with our heart, generally. Mm. Of course, there are exceptions than with our head. Um, obviously, the best type of decisions is made looking both and and. and uh, keeping in mind both what your heart and your head says, but I was very much a heart decision maker, which was was very tricky. And then what compounded that was the fact that yes, I was a, uh, still am a psychologist, and you know the first thing you get trained in as a psychologist is to have empathy with the person that you're dealing with. So um, as, as a business owner, I also have a lot of empathy and I'm always, um, you know, understanding of other people's situations. I can put myself in their shoes and that inevitably meant that I would put myself and my own needs last and I would give when I shouldn't be giving and I would say yes when I should have been saying no and all that stuff um, would come back to bite me. So it was a really important one of those mind hacks in terms of then taking that emotion out of it. It was really reminding myself that, you know, uh, this thing that I have to do right now, am I being the, the clinician, the psychologist, or am I being the practice owner, the business owner? And really having mm. to put that business owner hat on. And, you know, sometimes that was enough to help. Um, but when I wasn't able to do that, a little trick that I, that I, that I use and I, and I even use it sometimes today still is to go, okay, I know that as when I, and the years that I was an employee, I was a really hard worker. So I would just imagine that I'm not the boss, that I'm not the business owner and that I actually work for someone else and that this is someone else's business. And if, mm -hmm. and what would that person want me to do? So it's almost mm. a bit of role reversal there as well, because it, it really removes you and, and, you know, those beliefs that we have in terms of how am I going to look? Am I going to look like I'm being, you know, an awful person for saying no or whatever? 
but I would yeah. probably say no if my boss tells me to say no because that's what I'm told to do. Um, yeah. So I would imagine that I'm actually working for someone else when I had to do those very difficult things in my practice to move it forward. So, so, so that was the first thing, really acknowledging that I am an emotional decision maker, um, that I need to put my business owner hat on and then using that little trick in terms of going, okay, if I was working for I, someone else, yeah, I love that. what I would love they that role. to do? Yeah, I love that role mm. reversal and that it's, it's stepping out of the situation and looking in. Yes. Yes, yes yeah, definitely. Yeah. That is really um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. The, the, the second thing that I would say is to really look at your own beliefs around money if you want to run a business, um, mm. irrespective of what type, type of business it is. You know, our beliefs around money comes from childhood experiences, from what we get taught, <clears throat> all that type of stuff, and, and really yeah. knowing that it's if I've got a button in that, uh, that area, it's going to be pushed, I'm going to be triggered, and I really need to um, spend some time reflecting on, on what that is, what my beliefs are, and really unpack those and start reframing it um, to really get to that point where you go, you know what, I'm okay with making money. Just because I'm a psychologist doesn't mean that, um, you know, I should just give, 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 because um, if I have a profitable business, inevitably doesn't matter how you look at it it helps me to help more people money yeah, is basically like it. It, it's a resource it's a resource mm -hmm. um you know like just like time <laughs> like energy like everything else all the resources on earth it's a resource and it helps you to do stuff and in our our business it helps us to help more people so every time mm. my practice expanded from just me to two to another person to two to three and then even when I started my 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 second practice and even uh, in 2013 I started an online counseling business that is what um, uh, having a profitable business allows me to do and what then happens in turn because I can open up another business or hire another psychologist we can help more people and it's that never-ending ripple effect and mm, if I don't mm. run my practice as a business I would have to close the practice doors in six months time and that's not yeah. going to help anyone so really again reframing how you look at money seeing it as a resource that can allow you to do really great things and that is something that I find people um, really struggle with is is that reframing that belief that belief mm. that you have um, you know I know from from childhood and even my own childhood experiences that you know your parents used to say to you money doesn't grow on trees <laughs> and yeah. um, so, uh, you know, it's that kind of mindset that you are brought up with. And I even have to catch mm. myself saying that to my son because, um, you know, it's, mm. it's uh, changing that belief. And, and, and how can people change that? I mean, what can people do? Well, the first step is to have that awareness of, of what is those stories that you were told as a child um, mm -hmm. around money. And also, um, when you take that story and that belief, how you make it reflect on yourself. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Um, mm -hmm. And then yeah. what you really want to do is go, um, you know, is this a helpful belief? Yes or no? Um, mm. You know, does it help you in your life with the decisions you make and the actions you take? You know, you, you also want to unpack how strongly do you believe this? You know, do you believe mm. this 100%? Because if that's how strong it is, it's going to be much harder to change it. Um, yeah. And then you want to really start looking for as much evidence as you can 
to show the contrary. So, mm. you know, if you have a belief that, um, you know, um, earning lots of money makes you a bad person, you know, you'd want to look at beliefs to the contrary and look at people out there that are earning good money but making a difference in the world and really convince yourself in that way so that you can start changing those beliefs. The thing with beliefs, however, is that they're very much ingrained in what we do. It's not yeah, easy to yeah. change them and you need to have a daily focus on it mm. in terms of mm. going, um, you know, I need to every day remind myself that I now choose to believe that money is a resource and that I can help more people if I have that resource. And, and it's yeah. a daily reminder and, you know, if you find it hard to change that belief, what you want to do is, is, is maybe accept it and go that although I um, have this belief that money, um, you know, could corrupt people, I choose that in my instance that that is not going to happen, that I'm going to do good with it. So you can still mm -hmm. acknowledge that belief, but yes. then link that to that new belief. But it, you have to do it every day. Um, and yeah. in time, it will become easier and more automatic. Yeah. And it's that absolute consciousness around it and, and changing. It, it, it's almost like a habit as well. Even though if it's a belief, mm. it's become a habit because it's something mm. that you are saying and believing every day. And so, mm. therefore, like you said, you have to practice it every day. <clears throat> and yeah. possibly even put up reminders, you know, little notes or something around the, the house or mm. around your practice that will remind you about your belief around around mm. that money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, or or if you somebody that likes to do journaling, um I mm. you know, I, I like to do journaling, do mindset work every day, even if it's just for ten, fifteen minutes around what is happening for me, what it is that I'm working on. And you, you can put that in your journal and write that every day and, and write a list of stuff that, you know, uh, if you've had a good month last month, what has that allowed you to do? You know, maybe yeah. it's allowed you to buy an IQ test for your practice, which means that you can now help kids, um, you know, that's struggling at school get assessments done or get funding to support their academic um, process you know again yes. it's, it's all that evidence to show that that money is a good thing and it allows you to help people in in better more effective ways yeah absolutely and it's it's that it's that whole reframing of that mindset of um you know because some people see money as being evil and so mm. it's, it's and if you see money as being evil you're never going to attract it into your life or oh, if you do attract it you might mm. attract it in a, in a negative way exactly Exactly. Very, yeah. very true. Very yeah, true. Yeah. And the third mindset hack? Oh, that's probably the most important thing. And that would be to actively surround yourself with a great business support team. Um, I can't overemphasize the, the big role that my um, first business coach has played in my life in terms of making a difference. Um, I think my husband actually um, loved him more than I even did because it means <laughs> I didn't come home and whine to him about all my issues because I now had my business coach that I could call up any time of the day or night, literally, not that I did, but I had that option. And it was just mm. good knowing that I had that option. And I had this anchor every Thursday morning for two hours where I could 
talk to this person and get that support. You know, and a business yeah. coach is just, just one person. Um, then it's about having an amazing accountant that's always um, looking out for your best interest and giving you excellent advice. Uh, mm. You know, so you need to have those people in, in your life. Because I think very often small business owners just think, oh, I'm too small to have those people. You know, um, I'm too small. Maybe when I'm bigger, one day when I've got 10 more employees or whatever. And I, I, I always used to tell my business coach, where were you? Why didn't I know about you when I started this? But when I look back, I also reflect that, you know, I probably would have thought that I didn't have the need for it. Um, yeah. You know, as, as a psychologist, you think, well, I went through, you know, six, seven years of uni. Surely I can do this <laughs> until yeah. you realize that actually, no, you can't. You don't have the skills. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think you would be doing yourself such a favor to surround yourself with people that do have um, profitable and good money mindsets, people that have got, um, you know, positive mindset around uh, running a business that have that skills and that experience and that can advise you on it you know mm-hmm. if it can be even um, uh, whether it's more informal networks like the business Facebook groups whether it is uh, one specific networking event that you really uh, resonated with and you feel aligned to that you can go to like once a month and get that support and build those relationships whether it is being part of a small mastermind group you always want to be elevating yourself by uh, being surrounded with other people that are maybe two or three steps ahead of where you yes. are at so that they keep yes. you motivated and inspired and, and that you keep on learning. It is so important. Absolutely. And I remember um, when I was studying as well, you know, to become a life coach, they always said, try and put yourself in um, amongst people that are, that are successful. So, yeah. um, so it actually encourages you and, um, you know, wants you to be, you know, to encourages you to want mm. to be there. And exactly. uh, it definitely does because it, 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 it excites you and it gets you, it just gets mm. the juices flowing and you just want to keep on going, which is uh, really, really important, mm. particularly when you are working on your own and, and you are in a, you know, running your yeah. own business. So, um and and also you mentioned building relationships. I mean, relationships mm. are relationships is your business. Mm. Oh, most yeah. definitely, most definitely. <clears throat> there there can be so many opportunities from from having good uh, reciprocal relationships with you know um, uh, business acquaintances, which could ultimately even become friends. Um, and it helps yeah. to decrease that isolation that we often feel in business. You know, as the business owner, you can't go to your team members and tell them that you're struggling to pay your bills or you're waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning because you don't know if you're going to be able to pay them on Friday. Uh, you can't do that because they're going to jump ship. Uh, so you need other people <laughs> in your life who you trust that you can talk to. Otherwise, it will get very, very lonely. And um, I guess, you know, for me personally, since I had my business coach, I've always had uh, or been in some type of business coaching or mentorship relationship, um, mm. whether it's group or whether it's one-on-one, because uh, I want to consistently grow as well, you know. Yeah. Um, 
you don't want to be get too comfortable because if you're too comfortable, uh, you're not going to push yourself to do new things. And and that's what happens when you are with a group. You get inspired. Uh, they believe in you. They believe in what you can achieve, and and that means you believe even more in what you can do. Um, and it again helps you just to elevate to that next level. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I remember, I mean, uh, it was quite funny because when I lived in South Africa, I was a, a Zulu teacher and a, a saying just popped up into my head as you were speaking, which says, which means um, the hands wash each other, which basically means um, coming together and helping each other. So um, and having that reciprocity. Re- Prosity, I got the word right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and, yeah, sorry. Yes, no, I love that African saying, um, you know, and, and uh, it, it's, it's that community sense, and, and that's what networking mm. and business relationships are at the end of the day. Absolutely. And it's about um, being there for each other and, and having each other's back and, and, and even uh, in a, a good way or a bad way, because you might be able, you know, somebody might just say to you, you know, you know what you're doing is actually really not good and you need to actually mm. change things around mm. or how can you change things around or how can you do things differently? So sometimes mm. it's, it's having another pair of eyes looking in. Oh, definitely. Yes. Because um, sometimes you are just too close to the issue to see what is really going on or to come up with a a really creative solution to it. And and it's great when you have the support of people you trust that can do that for you. Absolutely. Um, You mentioned earlier on in the show that you um, run workshops. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, What what of your workshops and where do you run them and how often do you run them? Uh, So the workshops that are run, the in-person workshops, uh, it's called Private Practice Success. Um, and it's a introductory level workshop that goes for one full day. I run those in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. And I go to mm-hmm. each of those cities twice a year. So I do like a bit of a national tour during the first six months of the year. And I'm kicking up the, the, the second national tour here in Brisbane next month. So then I normally mm. do like almost like a city a month. So I do Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth again. Oh, fantastic. And, and if people want to come to your workshop, how can they find it or where can they go to, you know, to yep. sign up for your workshop? Yes, anytime. They can go to the actual workshop, um, has a website, uh, and that is www.private-practice-success.com. So all the information on what I do, where it is, and all that type of stuff is on there. So it was www.private-practice-success.com. So if anybody who is listening, um, you can go to that particular website if you are interested in doing Gerda Miller's um, fantastic workshop and to learn more Mm -hmm. about how how to run a successful private practice, a profitable and successful private practice. Um, and to and she will be there to help you and to support you through it. Um, Gerda, the other thing that you mentioned is is that you mm. are there is a free copy of your ebook available, and how can yes. people get hold of that one? Yeah. So and what is it e-book. called? So the ebook uh, that we're making available for free for all your listeners is called "Expanding Your Practice on a Shoestring Budget." 
So um, people often ask me around how I went from a one person to um, getting more people, you know, um, stuff like choosing the right location, negotiating your lease, all of that stuff is in there. Um, so it's all about expanding and starting to grow. Uh, it's a bit of a long uh, website address, but if you go to www.gerdamala.com.au and you go mm-hmm. to the resources section of the website, you will see there's a link to um, expanding your practice on a shoestring budget and um, your listeners can use the coupon code on fire with on in capital letters, the F for fire also in capital um, and the IRE in small capitals, and they can get that for free on the website. Oh, fantastic. Okay. What I will do is when we do the replay, mm. I'll actually post that up there so that listeners can actually go on to, go on to that and get their free copy of the, mm. of the e-book. Yes, oh, so good. It's been, absolutely, it's been absolutely wonderful interviewing you and finding out more about um, what you do and your book and all the exciting things that you are up to. And I really would like to thank you for um, sharing all that knowledge with the listeners and sharing it with me. I've become a little bit more excited mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> no, and hopefully we can meet and have a cup of tea soon. We have to because I don't think we live that far away from one another, actually. No, we don't. Thank you so much. It was my absolute, absolute pleasure. It was really great talking to you and the listeners. And this hour just went so quickly. I really loved it. I know. I cannot cannot believe it. It's been just absolutely wonderful chatting Mm. to you, too. And uh, for those people that would like to know more about Gerda Miller, uh, you can also go on to her website, which is www.gerda, G-E-R-D-A, Miller, M-U-L-L-E-R.com.au. So just to end off my show, um, I'd like to read you a quote, which is something that I it's from our book, um, After the Shock, How to Make Peace with Change. And it's a chapter called um, Deprogramming. And it's quite funny because we were talking about um, mm-hmm. reframing your belief systems and so on. And this is a quote by Jacqueline E. Purcell, which says, you must unlearn what you have been programmed to believe since birth. The software no longer serves you if you want to live in a world where all things are possible. So it's absolutely wonderful that um, Gerda Miller is out there and Mm. she's available to us to help us realize that there are possibilities out there to, to, you know, enhance your business and to change your practice, your private practice and have a successful private practice and a profitable private practice. So Mm -hmm. Gerda, thank you so much for being on my show. And for those listeners who weren't there and weren't able to listen to the show today, a replay will be available. So chat to you soon. Um, I think my next program will be on the 16th of June where I will be interviewing the lovely Sensor Govan. So goodbye, everybody. And this is Corin Sindri from the Change Strategist Show.
Hurry into Old Navy today and tomorrow to get jeans for the whole family on sale. Just $15 for adults, $12 for kids. Plus, starting today, redeem your super cash to save even more at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Super cash valid 6-3 to 6-11. Jeans valid 6-3 to 6-4. Select styles only. Hurry into Old Navy today and tomorrow to get jeans for the whole family on sale. Just $15 for adults, $12 for kids. Plus, starting today, redeem your super cash to save even more at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Super cash valid 6-3 to 6-11. Jeans valid 6-3 to 6-4. Select styles only.